I do want to thank Pastor for the opportunity. Lynn and I, when Pastor said, well, what week would you like to preach? I said, as early as possible, because uh, we went a couple weeks later. I, it might have to have a backup, a backup plan. And we are due uh, two weeks from yesterday, so we would appreciate your prayers. And um, just it just means a lot just when you come up and ask how Lena, how she's feeling, or ask me how I'm feeling. I don't get that quite as much as she gets it, but... <laughs> This afternoon, Lane and I are going to go up to Ferndale to uh, pick some stuff up that we found on Craigslist, so we're going to have to go through Detroit. And I was thinking a little bit about Detroit this, uh, this week as I was preparing. You know, Detroit actually has a lot going for it. We think, oh, it's, it's depressed, but the city of Detroit proper has a lot going for it. Even now, you know, to have the big three located right in the area, that's still, that's still a, v- a big positive presence especially if Jim and Chrysler can go through their restructuring and come out stronger like they say they will. You know, the area still has a, a pretty good affordable cost of living compared to some areas. Our neighbors are moving from next door to uh, Chicago, to uh, Downers Grove area, and it is much more expensive to live there. You can't live on what you, we would make here, there. It doesn't quite equal the same. You know, we, for the most part, we have pretty good sports teams here, except for the Lions, but, uh, you know... It might be better this year. Even 1 in 15 would be an improvement, right? <laughs> Detroit, you know, if, if it fits your style, has a great musical heritage as well, going back the last 50 years or so. But I say those things, and in your mind you're thinking, yeah, but Detroit, come on, Zach, they've got all kinds of problems. And I think I could argue that almost all of Detroit's problems, where they are today, came because of a lack of good leadership. The scandal, the corruption, the greed, the showboating. You know, it's really damaged that city and taken them quite a few steps backwards. Loss of population, loss of jobs, loss of national respect. And I think we can pinpoint it on a lack of leadership at the local and even the state level. But just like that city, Detroit, has a lot going for it. The person we're going to look at today had a lot going for him. Other passages which we won't read today tell us that Jeroboam was very capable and ambitious. King Solomon promoted him at a very young age. He was a patient man. Even after he found out he was going to become the next king, he was content to flee down to Egypt and not try to stage a coup to uh, overtake Solomon. He ended up being a fairly good ruler, He ruled Israel for 22 years. He was intelligent and he was creative. But Jeroboam took a detour. He took a detour away from God's will. And folks, that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at how we can avoid those detours The detour that tripped up Jeroboam and cost him dearly, very dearly, as we will see. He received a really amazing promise from God right at the beginning. I talked about how he had a lot going for him. The biggest thing was this. The prophet Ahijah said to Jeroboam, I hope you can read that. I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand 
and give you ten tribes. I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands as David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. Most of you are familiar with David and with his son Solomon. But you may not be aware or just have an idea. Solomon really faded from the Lord. He showed a lot of disobedience at the end of his life. He had, we're familiar, many wives, many concubines. And those women, it says, turned his heart away from the Lord, introduced idolatry. Just one generation after King David, who was such a good, holy, godly king, his son already, the people were, were worshiping idols. And it hurt God. And it offended God. And because of that, he went to Jeroboam through the prophet Ahijah and said, I'm going to take 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to leave David some territory and his, his descendants. But Jeroboam, if you obey me, if you do what's right, I'm going to give you a great opportunity to be a ruler and to have your children rule for generations and gener- upon generations. The green territory that you see on that map was the territory that God promised Jeroboam and said, if you follow me, your children will rule over that as well. There's some very key lessons for us as we look at the life of Jeroboam. He could have been a truly great leader, but he got sidetracked. This king led the entire nation away from God, and he did pay dearly for his rebellion. And I think the core lesson we can learn is that true leaders, true godly leaders, don't take detours away from God's will. They're content to follow on the path that God has set for them. In fact, that's the very first point. If you're going to keep an outline, I have a couple main points on here. And the first is that if you want to be a true leader who doesn't take a detour, you need to stay on God's road. And that takes us to our uh, main passage for today which is 1 Kings 12, verses 25 through 33. Read the first couple. It says, Then Jeroboam, this is after he had become king, he fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and he lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself. Do you think he was listening to himself or talking to himself here? As pastor says. The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Early in his reign, Jeroboam started to wonder, can I really trust those promises that God gave me? Or is it really just up to me? I have to scheme, I have to plan, I have to work things out to my advantage. And from a human perspective, you know, he had some reason to fear because fear can make us forget God's promises. It can make us forget what he's told us he expects of us, the blessings that he's told us he will give us. He saw how the popularity of King Rehoboam went downhill very quickly. Let me read verse 16 to you. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, 
What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel. Look after your own house, O David. Rehoboam was David's grandson. And the Lord tore most of Israel, most of his country, away from him and gave it to Jeroboam. And Rehoboam wanted the country back. And he sent a representative in verse 18 says, King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. So from a human perspective, Jeroboam, yes, he's got the ten tribes, he's got that big chunk of northern territory, he's got God's promise, but, you know, they rejected Rehoboam, they might reject me. They killed that, that representative that Rehoboam sent, they might kill me. And he had a fear that seemed very big and very real. These people, if they go down to Israel, go back down to Judah, to Jerusalem, to worship there, they're going to leave me. I'll be left with nothing. I might get killed in the process. And isn't it true that a lot of times when we listen to ourselves, instead of talking to ourselves, we find that there are some very deep fears inside of us. Some fears that seem very big and very real. Fears that can threaten to overtake us. The more we think about it, the more we dwell on it, the more we try to plan and how can I avoid this? How can I make sure this never happens? How can I be in control of my life? The worse it gets and the more consumed we are by that fear. And that fear does tend to make us forget God's promises. We forget that the Lord is in total control of our situation And he has the power to help us in anything that that might come in our path. Fear can make us forget God's promises, but creativity isn't always a good thing. Do you know that? We usually think it's good to be creative. We look at people like Thomas Edison or Samuel Morse or even Bill Gates, and we say, oh, these people are great American inventors. They're innovators. They're creative. They've contributed so much to the American spirit. But creativity is not always a good thing. Look at verses 28 through 30 of chapter 12. After seeking advice, it says, Jeroboam made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. He says up because Jerusalem was on a mountain. So even though Jerusalem was in the south, they, they referred to it as going up because they went up the mountain to worship God where he had said, this is where you are to worship me. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam knew that the people were required by God's law to visit three times a year to Jerusalem, make sacrifices there, make a pilgrimage there. And he knew if the people are going down there that often... They're going to start liking that more often. Think about when you go on vacation, if you go to Florida every year, or you go to Hawaii every two years, or you go down to Kentucky a couple times a year, you start to like that. You start to say, boy, it'd be nice if I could move here. Boy, I get, I get familiar. I start to know where the restaurants are. I know where the grocery store is. Boy, I just, when I retire, I'm going down to fill in the blank. You can see maybe how Jeroboam thought that people were going to adopt that mindset and get more comfortable with Judah and maybe feel like they'd made a mistake in making Jeroboam the king. 
So he got some advice, and he put together a very clever plan. I'll give that to him. Ungodly, but clever, just like a lot of our plans tend to be. He mixed the traditional worship of God as God had laid out in the first five books of your Bible, the Pentateuch, Pena 5, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God had said, this is how the nation of Israel, my chosen people, are to worship me. You don't deviate from it. You don't have your own ideas. This is how you do it. And Jeroboam said, boy, if I could take that, mix it with some of the local cult idolatry, and make it more convenient for the people, boy, I think, I think I'd really have some winner here. Something that people could really adopt. And it's somewhat legitimate because it looks like the original worship. And he made these golden calves. And I think for most of the commentators, the calves were supposed to represent kind of the pedestals upon which God was supposed to stand. So he wasn't necessarily saying, worship these calves. He was saying, worship these calves as the symbol of God. But God had said in the Ten Commandments, you shall uh, have no graven image, nothing that's supposed to represent anything, anything related to worship. And Jeroboam disobeyed that, among many other things. He also changed the site of worship. You know, Dan and Bethel were in Israel, the northern kingdoms, at the top and bottom of his territory. And he made it very convenient for the people to ignore their responsibility to go down to Jerusalem. He changed the spiritual leaders. You see the narrow road that we're supposed to take. Second Chronicles 11 says, The Levites even abandoned their pasture lands and property and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. And he, that's Jeroboam, appointed his own priests for the high place and for the goat and calf idols he had made. Oh, now we're talking about goat idols as well never just starts with a little compromise. It always gets bigger and bigger until you're further away from God than ever. 1 Kings 1, 13, says that Jeroboam appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated. If you've read in the first five books of your Bible at all, you know that God took his spiritual leaders very seriously. There are whole chunks of chapters devoted to the priests and the Levites and their qualifications and who could serve and the things that they were supposed to do, their duties. God took that so seriously. And Jeroboam said, eh, you guys can uh, take a hike. I'm going to appoint my own people. He probably shipped it out to the highest bidder. Not unlike the spiritual leaders that we have today. And also he changed the traditional religious festivals. If you look down in... Uh, couple of verses further down, verse 32, it says, He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. The Day of Atonement Feast, holy, holy day for Israel, a, a sacred festival in Jerusalem was on the... 15th day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. Can you see how clever Jeroboam is? He says, mm, let's, let's have our worship centers in Dan and Bethel. Let's have uh, my own altar with a couple golden calves there. Let's have our own priests and Levites. We don't, need, we don't need the people from Judah. They can go back down to where they came from. 
let's, let's have our own feast. We'll do it on the 15th day of the 8th month. You won't even have to go down to Jerusalem. See how convenient it will be? See how wrong that was? Dissipate everything that God had said. And Jeroboam's creative compromise ended up being Israel's official state religion for hundreds of years until Assyria came and took them captive. Sometimes it was mixed with even more horrific idolatry like child sacrifice or Baal worship. But that stayed as the national state religion, a compromise counterfeit that led people's hearts away from God. And in some ways, when we think creativity is a good thing, let me give you some ways that it is not. It can be a huge mistake when we're being too creative for our own good and God's commands and expectations aren't good enough for us. Perhaps we're working so much that we have no time for our families. And we say, well, I'm providing them a good life, but we're stepping outside of God's expectations. Perhaps we've gotten into the habit of only telling part of the truth or exaggerating. And we say, well, nobody cares. No one's going to know. Even if I told them, they, they wouldn't care one way or the other. It's not a big deal. Or perhaps you've gotten into the habit of skipping church on Sunday. You say, well, if I, if I hear somebody on Sunday, you know, a TV preacher, or listen to a sermon CD later on in the week, that's good enough, isn't it? I'm just tired. It's not really convenient this week for me. No one's going to miss me anyway. And yet God says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And it is so important not to let those creative little compromises in because they will take over your life. They will lead you on a detour away from the path that we are supposed to stay on, which is God's path. You may get to the point where people even wonder because you show no fruit. Your, your detour has led you so far away from God's path, you can't even see the lights of God's highway from where you are. And others wonder, are they even really a Christian? I haven't seen any fruit from them. They haven't been at church. They seem like they lie, and I hear the language that comes out of their mouth. I just don't really know if they're one of God's children, and they may have a valid point. The second point here is to follow God's warning signs. You stay on God's path, on his road, and you follow God's warning signs. I'm going to summarize a couple things here. When God sees one of his children taking a road, a detour, that is not according to his plan, in his mercy and in his grace, the focus of at least the last song set was grace today. You know, God's grace doesn't just save you. It also, as one writer said, it kindles the exercise of Christian virtues in our hearts. And that grace mercifully sometimes will put up a roadblock in your way, an obstacle, something that you didn't see coming. It's inconvenient for you. If you're taking a detour, God won't let you go without a fight. He will constantly try to pull you back and break your stubborn heart. This king, Jeroboam, received several warning signs from God. Received a stop sign, a bridge out, whatever it may be. And in Jeroboam's case, we're going to see he received several different types of warning signs from God. And I'll summarize these. We won't read in detail because it covers several whole chapters, chapters 13 and 14. First of all, Jeroboam saw his substitute altar miraculously torn apart. 1 Kings 13 tells us that an unnamed prophet, we never find out his name, even though he's 
certainly one of the most fascinating prophets in the Old Testament, just because of what happens to him. This prophet went to Jeroboam and said, this altar that you're worshiping at is of counterfeit, it's fake. And he prophesied that someday dead men's bones would be offered on it, not just the false uh, sacrifices that Jeroboam was offering. And Jeroboam saw with his own eyes as the sign that God was going to bring this about someday, his altar split in two and the ashes poured out. A miracle nobody could have done right in front of his eyes. And Jeroboam, he put his hand out and as he was saying, guards, seize that prophet. The Lord says, God miraculously caused his hand to wither and shrivel up. I don't know exactly what it was, but it says he could not pull it back into him. The tendons were shriveled up and God, just like that, could take away a part of his health. And then, just like that, God restored his hand to him. So Jeroboam, in a, sp- in a matter of seconds or minutes, saw two miracles firsthand to verify that God was not pleased and yes, there were going to be consequences if he continued on his detour, his idolatrous detour. Two observed miracles weren't enough. And then one bizarre tale wasn't enough because Jeroboam heard what happened to that prophet. That prophet who gave him that message as he went back to his place, disobeyed God's command. You can read about that sometime in, in 1 Kings 14. Fascinating story. And you might, as you read it, say, well, this doesn't seem like this really belongs. What, what does this have to do with anything about Jeroboam? But Look at the last couple verses of chapter 14. I'm sorry, of chapter 13. Chapter 13, verses 33 and 34. After this prophet was killed by a lion for disobeying God, Jeroboam heard about it and says, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. Pretty serious words. And Jeroboam, the miracles that he saw, the bizarre story of God judging his own prophet wasn't enough to get Jeroboam's attention. And you know what? The last thing that Jeroboam experienced, the last warning sign that God gave him was the death of his own son. And Jeroboam's wife went to the prophet Ahijah and as soon as she walked in the door, before she even said anything, Ahijah knew who she was even though she was disguised. He knew what she had come for and he told her, your child is going to die. Is it really true that sometimes our sicknesses, our illnesses, our misfortunes, it's not just because, oh, something bad happened to me. Can it sometimes be due to the fact that it's your sin or my sin that we're holding on to, that we're refusing to let go, we're not giving God his due, we're rebelling against him? James five fourteen and 15. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. 
clearly, God took Jeroboam's rebellion very personally. But the Lord did give the king several chances to turn from his sin, and he did not. Friends, let me encourage you today, from the bottom of my heart, I don't know everything that's going on in your life. As humans, we are very good at hiding some of the deepest troubles or problems or worries that are going on inside of us. And even pastor has no clue everything that's going on in every person's heart and life. But I'm going to guess that there are people here today who have a roadblock in front of them, an obstacle, a difficulty, whether it's sickness or loss of a job or family problems. And perhaps, not necessarily, because we know that God puts us through fires to purify us, but sometimes that purifying is his way of chastening us. There may be something in your life that is in rebellion against God, something that you have held on to. And if you're not willing to give that up, if you're not willing to get off that detour and get back on God's road, you can expect more of these warning signs, more of these roadblocks. Because God, if you are one of his children, will not let you continue in sin. First John tells us that. No one who is a child of God can continue indefinitely in sin. And it is much easier if you see one of God's warning signs right away and say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of my ungodly detour that I took, whatever it may be. Some creative little compromise in my life that I let take the place of your law. When God has set that path for your life and you've detoured off of it, expect those warning signs, expect those obstacles. And then the third point, not only stay on God's path, stay on God's path, I forgot my last point already, how's that? Follow God's warning signs and leave good directions for others. We all want people to think well of us, don't we? It's especially important that those close to us, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, that they think well of us. And someday when we die and we pass off this earth, we want to leave a good legacy. We want people to speak well of you or of me when we die. We don't want to people to get up at our funeral and have nothing good to say. We want to be spoken well of. Sometimes that can lead us down a sinful path in and of itself because we become people pleasers and we lie or, or we flatter. We try to get people to think well of us. But there is a way that you can get people to think well of you, especially after you've passed off this earth. And that is to leave a good godly heritage for your friends and your family and your co-workers. For them to say after you're gone, boy, you know what? So-and-so, he was a good man. She was a godly woman. You know, he always did what was right. She always prayed for me. He always was encouraging in what he said. She always knew just when to come alongside me and encourage me. You can leave a good legacy, but you can also leave a horrific legacy for your family, especially. This is what I'm thinking of especially today. You don't have a nation to lead, but... You do have a family. You do have a church here. And you have a responsibility to be a good, godly leader. Leave good directions for others. 
You know, Jeroboam is mentioned 21 times in the Old Testament after he's left the scene, after he has passed off this earth. And each of them refers to how he started the kings of Israel on their wicked path. 20 kings came after Jeroboam of the northern kingdom of Israel, and all of them were wicked. The Bible has very little good to say about any of them. They include such people like Ahab and Jezebel. Wicked, wicked rulers, notoriously wicked. Let me read in uh, chapter 15, 25 and 26. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, this is the next generation, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father and in his sin, which he had caused Israel to commit. He, the writer of 1 Kings puts the blame of Israel's failure and sin right back on Jeroboam. Yes, Nadab continued in sin, and he was responsible to God as well. But it said, he walked in the ways of his father, and in his sin, that's Jeroboam's sin, which he had caused Israel to commit. And if you read through the Kings and Chronicles, again and again, you will see reference. So-and-so, king of Israel, he walked in the sins of his father Jeroboam, who caused Israel to sin. How would you like that legacy? Dozens, maybe even hundreds of years after you're gone, people are still saying, boy, you sinned just like Jeroboam, and he's the one who made our whole country to sin. You sinned just like that person. What kind of legacy are you leaving for those who are looking to you? And you may not think that you're really a leader. You say, well, Zach, I I don't have that much responsibility. I don't have that much influence. Uh, I'm not really a leader at work. I'm not a supervisor. I don't really have a, uh, a leadership position. I'm not one of the deacons here at church. You know, my kids don't listen to me. My wife doesn't listen to me. How can you call me a leader? If you're a leader, you may be a leader if you're one of these. If you're a single, think about it. I'm just giving some examples. You have high schoolers who look up to you, who look up to you and the decisions you make, the path you take, and they're very likely, if you take an ungodly detour, to follow you. If you work, there may be somebody underneath you, someone who answers to you. And if you take a detour, if you take money out of the change drawer, if you clock out later than you should or clock in earlier, if you try to beat the system, if you have an ungodly attitude to your boss, then they're going to have an ungodly attitude towards you. You can lead them in an ungodly detour. If you're a parent... Obviously, your children follow you. They may say that they hate your guts, but they do follow you. They do listen to you. They do take on your attitudes and your actions and your paths. And then as well, if you're involved in a ministry here at CBC, we are blessed. We are really blessed. We have so many people here who help and so many ministries and so many people who give their time and their energy And I know Pastor appreciates that, and the leadership team really appreciates that. If you are in some leadership role here, if you are in any ministry, you're sitting at the table, you're helping to greet people, you're teaching a kid's class, you're helping set up, you have a position of leadership, whether you realize it or not. And there are people who look to you and say, well, so-and-so's in charge of that department, so-and-so's on the setup team, so-and-so helps out with the kids, with the nursery 
And you can take even our church on an ungodly path, on a detour. If you have a bitter attitude towards other people, bitterness, the Bible says, spreads. It's like a well that poisons everyone. Bitterness is just one example of ways that you can lead people on an ungodly detour. And my hope and prayer is that instead of taking this detour, you will see the value, the wisdom, the righteousness of God's road for your life. And instead of taking that easier detour, that one that's more convenient, seems more attractive at the time, one that you can come up with an excuse, that you will realize that I've made some sinful choices and I need to get off this detour and stay on God's path. Friends, today Detroit is in bad shape because of poor leadership. But it's not just the mayor, it's not just the city council, it's not just their fault. It's thousands of homes, churches, and businesses who have, do, do not have true godly leaders. And at some point or other, they've taken a detour far away from what God wanted them, from where he wanted them to be. But it's not just Detroit, is it, if we're honest? It's Woodhaven. It's Brownstown. It's Flat Rock. It's Taylor. It's Southgate. It's whatever community you live in, the problems are the same. Churches, families, businesses that do not have godly leaders. Are you part of the solution or are you part of the problem? God gave Jeroboam an amazing opportunity and he blew it royally. Hundreds of years later, people are still talking about what a horrible king he was. He may have been a good ruler, He was not a true godly leader because he led the people on a detour. Let me ask you today, if we leave good directions for others, the people who come after us, we help point them in the right way. That's a good way and we stay on God's path and we follow in his will. True leaders do not take detours around God's will. Let me ask you today, take a look inside your heart. Maybe you're not just on a detour. Maybe you've never been on God's road to begin with. You say, well, I've never really felt close to God. Never really gotten this whole thing. I mean, I understand it. I try to be a good person. But when you talk about detours and, and God's path, it just seems all kind of foreign. I just, I just kind of do what I do and set my own, chart my own course and you know, try to do as best as I can. Friends, your best and my best is not good enough for God. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you may have chosen not just a detour, but an entirely different path for yourself. A road that sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's easier, but you know, I get by. I do pretty good. It's not that bad. Let me tell you, there is joy in serving Jesus. There is forgiveness. There's peace. And that road that maybe you have never experienced. And I urge you today, as Pastor often says, recognize your need of a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son who came and died for you. 
and repent of your sins. Invite Jesus into your life to be the Lord of your life. That is God's path. There are no detours from that, my friends. There are no parallel roads. There is one way to God, one way to his heaven. And I encourage you today, if you do not know him, that you would take opportunity today as soon as possible to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And unlike Jeroboam, who showed and proved that he never had any heart for God, he never respected what God had to say. He did it his way. It's not worth it. Those detours away from God's will are not what true leaders do, and they're not what Christians should do. Let's close in a word of prayer, and then Ron will come up and lead us in a final song. Heavenly Father, we owe you our very lives. And we see an example like this today, someone who thousands of years ago just had a great privilege and great opportunity to do what was right and to lead a new nation. And he failed because he did things his way. He took an ungodly detour. But Lord, we can't judge him because we look in our own hearts and lives and we see where we've detoured, where we've veered away from what you said. Maybe we did it step by step. We convinced ourselves it wasn't that big of a deal. And Lord, I ask in my life that you would purify my heart and help me to be more committed to staying on your road, the road of blessing and of joy, where you will protect and guide me. And may each one here commit to that road as well, either for the first time because they've never known you, Lord, or for those believers here, that they would recommit themselves to stay on your path and not take the detours. And I ask all this in our Savior's name. Amen.